Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Hi, Harry Potter and the sacred text team. Hi, Casper, Vanessa, and Ariana. Hi, Vanessa, Casper, and Ariana. Hi, everyone. I'm Casper Ter-Kyle, and this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Vanessa is home with her family today, but I am very lucky to be joined by our dear friend and mentor, Stephanie Pulsell. And we make sure to have Stephanie on every season, so I can't believe we've waited so long to have you on the show for season six. But welcome back, Stephanie. It's so good to be here. I know you're recording from home, so our sound quality will be a little bit DIY today, but I think every podcast out there is in that situation, but we're so, (laughs) so glad to have you. (laughs) Now, Stephanie, when I was in your classroom, one of the things that I remember completely changing my mind about was something I'd always been a little bit of afraid of in the religious world, which was prayer. Mm. And I wanted to talk to you today about this spiritual practice, which is a very common one for lots of people, but for people like me who grew up non-religious has always seemed a little bit strange. And I think in this time of the coronavirus and so much anxiety, there's actually a real treasure trove for us here to explore in the practice of prayer. And so I'm hoping that you'll teach me a little bit about it again today. Would you just describe what does prayer mean to you? Like, what is it? Some of the most ancient Christian sources on prayer say that prayer is a continual intercourse of the spirit with God. Mm -hmm. That's Evagrius of Ponticus from the fourth century. And that's a kind of 
definition that runs through, threads through the tradition, the idea that prayer is where our relationship with God is lived Mm. and developed. St. Augustine back in the fourth century, fifth century, you know, he's trying to know himself and he's frustrated because he can't remember everything about himself. Mm. Like any of us, you can't hold your whole life in your memory. I can't even remember what day it is at the moment. So I exactly. empathize. All the days are running together. <laughs> but he believed that God remembered everything and that God's memory was this vast space that you could never get into every corner of, that it just held all the memories of who he was. And so he knew that if he was going to be able to know himself, he would have to know God. Mm. Prayer arises in a lot of these sort of ancient teachers of prayer out of a sense that knowing God and knowing ourselves are all bound up together. Mm. And Augustine writes this whole beautiful autobiography that's basically a prayer in an attempt to get to know the God who made him and who remembers who he is. So I like those ancient definitions (laughs) of prayer because they emphasize relationship and self-knowledge and the way we, we learn who we are by being in relationship with another. I love that idea of discovering more about yourself and deepening of awareness by being in relationship with something that's wholly other. Uh, and I mean, wholly both in the sense of like distant and yeah. so different from who I am, but also that sense of a holy other, like something that is divine in some way. And, you know, I always thought that praying meant you have to sit on your knees at your bedside and say, you know, dear God, I am sorry, or what, what, whatever it is. But I remember learning from you, just like you were saying, prayer can be conversation. It can be art making. It can be quiet reflection while you're walking outside. Prayer can happen in so many different ways. And it's really about bringing ourselves to that holy other. I mean, I think one of the things that's difficult about prayer for maybe for you, Casper, Mm. is prayer is often addressed to God or to to the divine. And what what is God? (laughs) And I think the best prayers... There's a tradition in in Christianity, the apophatic tradition that says anything you say about God, you then have to unsay because God's completely unknowable and God has no predicate. You know, you can't say God is love, God is justice, God is mercy. Yes. You know, then you have to unsay all these things. But there's another tradition, the cataphatic tradition that says God's unknowable. So let's just say everything and more. Let's just excessively say things. Right. And there's a prayer by... Catherine of Siena, 14th century Italian writer, mystical writer. It's something like, oh, burning mountain, oh, chosen sun, oh, perfect moon, Mm. oh, fathomless well. You know, it's just this endless (laughs) outpouring of images. And I'm, I, you know, in Islam, there's, you know, the prayer of the 99 99 names names of God. God. I mean, those kinds of prayers I love Mm. because you know that you can't really get it right. Mm. And so... You just get it wrong over and over again and hope that something true oh, I love gets that. said. My favorite image is John O'Donoghue has this wonderful image where, where so often people talk about traveling to the mountaintop or, or, you know, summiting this great distance, this great height, and that's where God is. But he says, no, no, God is like an ocean. And all of us are standing somewhere on the shorelines pointing towards the middle and each seeing the richness and beauty. So I, maybe that's kind of a halfway between the something and the and the nothing. Yeah. 
a lot of the mystical tradition, I, I, my teacher in graduate school, Bernie McGinn, taught us that the, the Christian mystical tradition, like the Jewish mystical tradition, emerged from the kind of thing that you all do on the podcast, mm. which is spiritual reading practices of scripture, mm. that for the rabbis and, and the early Christians, the scripture was just this deep, deep well that you could keep lowering yourself into and never get to the bottom of. And Howard Thurman, whom we've been talking about some, who is a great theologian and philosopher of the civil rights movement, used to teach at Boston University. He has this wonderful sense of of prayer as exactly what you were just saying, putting yourself in the way of an other, which is God, but also each other, the people that we pray for. Mm. He talks about you know, how when we pray for someone else, we open ourselves to their need. Mm. And so it's a risk in a way. It's a risky thing to do, to put ourselves in the way of someone else's need, because then that makes a claim on us. It calls us to do something. Yeah, Stephanie, I love that. And and you wrote recently so beautifully about Howard Thurman and, and that wisdom and that he teaches that prayer opens our life to another's need and helps us see what that need has to do with us. And that, and that's the bit that I like so much because I think so often how I thought about prayer was that it's just about like getting the new bicycle for Christmas, you know, like it, it and of course, sometimes it is for ourselves, but that, that often when we open our hearts in that way and we allow ourselves to reframe where we are in the world, that there's a sort of a claim that's made on our attention and our actions by the needs of others. I guess I think this is such an interesting conversation right now because, you know, usually when there's a big crisis or when when there's a major scary thing that happens in the world, we have this impulse to help and to go and be with other people and to, you know, try and make things better by bringing cake or looking after people. And right now, the thing that we can do to help is sit at home. (laughs) Right, right. I've been looking for something to do and I've been, I've been thinking about Actually, prayer in all of its complexity is actually something really wonderful that we can do when you're sitting alone at home. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's very hard to figure out how to be of use right now. And of course, there's lots of things we can do. There's a lot of meals that need making and a lot of groceries that need buying and a lot of shelters and organizations that need funds and supplies. But I also think filling the space in between us with prayer keeps those needs more at the top of our minds. I had a colleague years ago, Robert Orsi, who I used to teach at Harvard Divinity School. His second book was called Thank You, St. Jude. It was about uh, Roman Catholic women's devotion to St. Jude, who's the patron saint of lost causes. And he was doing all this ethnographic research, interviewing them about their devotion to this saint. And finally, one of these women said to him, how are you going to write about us praying to St. Jude if you don't pray to St. Jude? Mm. And he thought, well, she has a point. He went home and he thought, can I pray to St. Jude? And he thought, no, I really can't. That's really not, would not be an authentic thing for me to do. But what he did instead was he, he thought, well, I'll, I'm going to excavate my lost causes mm. as these women would. And in doing that, he realized those women were braver than he could have ever known Mm. if he hadn't tried to engage that practice in some way. What he realized was that 
it takes enormous courage mm. to excavate your lost cause and bring it to St. Jude. And so that, I think, too, is a form of prayer, what Bob tried to do. Mm. He tried to get inside these women's devotion as best he could and to see what was profound about it. I love that because it's exactly the opposite of what, <laughs> you know, when people say well, like thoughts and prayers, right. you know, I've seen in Facebook statuses, you know, people will just be responding with like prayers, prayers, prayers. And you're like, okay, but, you know, it feels so flat. It feels so hollow. Right. And actually what you've just described is it's actually this excavation. It's digging deeper. It's it's not surface. It's about depth. That's right. And that, that's scary to do. And I love that. It's that it's brave to really encounter prayer as a practice. I mean, I, I know that in, this is more of a meditation practice that I learned, but the idea of that you start by wishing yourself well, and then wishing a stranger well, and then thinking of someone that you're really challenged by, like someone who kind of really annoys you, <laughs> or, you know, it's just a difficult person in your life. And then you try and wish them well, like to actively bring your heart and mind into that place is, it's not pleasant. <laughs> well, that's right. Simone Weiss said, Prayer consists of attention, mm. you know, warmth of heart, pity, thoughts and prayers, all that stuff. That's not prayer, she says. Mm. Prayer is really trying to be present to something that's not ourselves without trying to turn it into ourselves, Ooh. which is, of course, the great human temptation to say, your pain is just like yeah. the time that I, <laughs> right. And so I think, you know, the kind of attention that Simone Weil is saying prayer requires and the kind of presence to oneself that Bob Orsi discovered in his work with the devotion to St. Jude is the kind of attention that opens us, as Howard Thurman said, mm. to the needs of others and mm. helps us feel its claim on us. That's so beautiful. Stephanie, in this moment of the coronavirus and, and so many of us who are at home, how have you been thinking about this moment? Is there anything that's been on your mind? Well, I was really lucky to have been reading Howard Thurman when this all started happening. Mm. And I just read with my students a, a book of his called Disciplines of the Spirit, in which he talks about contagion. Mm. Um, now, there's lots of kinds of contagion, right? There are viruses that we pass around. There's the contagion of xenophobia that we're seeing that's just as dangerous as the virus and that can move through a population just as fast, if not faster. Mm. You know, these are the kinds of contagions that we need to eradicate. Mm. But there are also, Thurman talks a lot about the spiritual climate that prayer can create. He says, if you're a, a person who prays, if you regularly are trying to live in a consciousness of the divine in the world and of divine possibility in the world. And if you're regularly lifting up the needs of the world, he says, eventually you create a kind of spiritual climate around yourself that you could bring to another person or you could bring into mm. a situation. He wrote this book in the 60s and he talks about the spiritual climate that a lot of the young people who were 
you know, sitting in at the lunch counters, the kind of spiritual atmosphere that they brought into those violent spaces and the effect that that spiritual atmosphere could have. I get that because you can really sense sometimes from someone like, there's just something about you, right? Like that just feels, whether it's calming or safe or strong. Yeah. That's right. Some people just have that centeredness or something that you can feel them bring into your conversation and everything settles a little and everyone listens a little bit better. My colleague here at Harvard, Khalil Abdul Rashid, who's our um, Muslim chaplain to the university, Mm. I heard him speak in the fall about pilgrims on the Hajj and how a pilgrim on the Hajj does not wear perfume, aftershave, deodorant, any kind of scent, because they're trying to cultivate a spiritual atmosphere around them that they could offer as a gift that they could bring along with them. And Thurman talks about that as a kind of contagion, that you can catch it. And he says he caught it from his grandmother, who had been enslaved in Florida before the Civil War. Mm. And she would tell these stories. He said, when, you know, when my sister and I would get discouraged when the water was low in our well, Mm. our grandmother would tell us the story about an enslaved preacher who would come over to where she was enslaved once a year to preach. And he would say, your identity is not slave. Your identity is child of God. Mm. Your identity is human being made in the image of God. And he said, my grandmother would tell my sister and me these stories and her spine would straighten. And he said, and we could just feel her dignity and we caught it like a contagion. Mm. That's what you want to spread in the world. That's the kind of contagion that you hope will spread and keep on spreading. Mm. This reverence for human dignity, this reverence for the image of God in every single person. Mm. You know, that anthropology that everybody has this possibility in them, this reality in them, that means the people you love, but also the people you don't (laughs) love and also the people who repel you and also the people you disagree with. And it's a deeply ethical understanding of who the human being is, who we are. Mm. And Thurman was very committed to embodying that, to making reverence for human dignity just part of his spiritual atmosphere, part of his climate. And that's the contagion that he wanted to spread. And I think in this time, we can all help with creating a spiritual climate in which xenophobia Mm. is less possible, where it's easier to stand up against it, where it's easier to choose to sacrifice on behalf of others. Mm. The thing that's really hopeful to me about this moment is that apparently we can turn on a dime. That's what's extraordinary. The, I mean, yeah. both on a policy level and nationally, but also the creativity of families, of teams that work together. It's astonishing. I mean, if if we get to the other side of this intact, it will not be because of the top-down powers that be at the top. Mm-hmm. It will be because of people who chose, Mm -hmm. and not just once, but over and over and over again, the techs and the nurses and the doctors who kept going back to work, Mm -hmm. even though I saw health workers in America who had clothed themselves in garbage bags because they did not have any protective gear. And yet they keep going back to work. I mean, I asked myself, would I keep going back to work? It's extraordinary. To, to choose on behalf of the most vulnerable, not once, mm. not twice, not 10 times, but over and over and over again until the crisis is past. Apparently, 
we can change. Mm. And there are a lot of other things that we're going to need to change for. Absolutely. So that's the, the heartening thing. Mm. The disheartening thing is hearing the market elevated over human life, yeah. the rumors that it's a hoax that leads right. people not to take it seriously and to continue to spread the virus and make it last longer. And mm-hmm. But there are some heartening things. The heroism of ordinary people chief among them. Mm. Mm. Uh, Stephanie, we've never done this before on the podcast, but for those of us who are not used to doing this practice, would you teach us maybe just a little prayer that we could do together and and maybe you can say some words and I'll say them back and anyone listening, you can just join me in repeating what what Stephanie says that we can in some way, you know, create that that climate, you know, in our own lives, in our own homes. I would love to. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I think, you know, especially in these days when there's a lot to pray for, Mm. a lot to lift up, I think lifting up our deepest concerns teaches us what our deepest concerns are. So I think, you know, you start with, I pray for the health workers Mm. in this country. I pray for their safety. I pray that they be paid properly. I pray that they Mm. be reverenced, that their sacrifice is recognized and honored. I pray to be like them. Mm. As we sit with our prayers and as we lift our prayers heavenward or earthward (laughs) or inward or wherever we are turning, one prayer leads to another Mm. and it excavates more and more. I mean, maybe there's prayers in Harry Potter. I think there are. That's what we might be doing, you know, without knowing it sometimes when we repeat some of those favorite lines, when we turn to the text for comfort, when it reminds us who we can be to be courageous, to stand up for those who who are at the margins. Yeah. I think that inexhaustibility of certain texts where you can just keep going and going and going, that's where God is found. That's... Mm. um, in that excess of meaning, that endless possibility. Mm. Here's a prayer. Mm. Emily Dickinson, I dwell in possibility. I dwell in possibility. I dwell in possibility. I dwell in possibility. Which means things can be otherwise than they are. Mm. Things can change. We can change. Mm. And if we can change, then the world can change. So maybe... That should be our prayer. That's beautiful. Stephanie, thank you so much. Thanks for being with us, not just in this conversation, but throughout this whole project. I'll never stop saying it, but this wouldn't be happening without you. And I and so many other people are so grateful for it. Well, you have taken what you learned at Harvard Divinity School to places we could never have imagined. Mm. We're so proud and we're still learning from you. Likewise, likewise. Stay safe and uh, we'll speak very soon. Okay, my dear. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. 
United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimold Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app, and when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. This week, we have a wonderful set of voicemails from our listening community, and all of them, unsurprisingly, are to do with our current experience of the coronavirus. And I hope maybe more than anything that just hearing one another's voices, or at least hearing some of the voices within our community, will help us remember each other and, and feel connected to one another's experience, even when we're being physically distant from one another. And first up, we're going to hear from Gemma. Hi, Vanessa, Casper, and Ariana. This is Gemma from LA. I am a big fan of the podcast. I'm also a college senior, and my university was one of many that canceled classes and moved online in the wake of the coronavirus crisis. Yeah, it's a lot of grief. For me, it hits really hard because I'm an international student, and all of my family is overseas. It's just me and having to watch my roommates and the friends and the people who have been family to me for the last four years leave. Um, feels like they're taking away a part of my home too, you know, and who knows about commencement either. But one small thing that's been giving me a lot of comfort is even knowing that Harry, Ron, and Hermione had their final years at Hogwarts disrupted. And what we got out of that was... The Deathly Hallows, so a new kind of adventure. Um, and I trust that whatever lies ahead for the rest of spring will be good. Lastly, I just want to bless Molly Weasley. I see a lot of my mom in her and a lot of other people's moms too who care about their kids so much and who just wants to protect them and keep them close with them at home but also knows that they have to go and do the heroic things that they're supposed to whether it be finishing up their last year of college far away or you know fighting Voldemort so thank you Molly for your care and for your courage thank you mom too even if you're not listening to this thank you to all mothers and parents out there and thank you to you guys as well for this podcast it really has been a bright light of hope in this trying time all right, 
Thanks. Bye. Oh, Gemma, I hadn't even thought about that final year interruption for the trio. And I know so many of, of my former students who are having to shift their graduation plans, the excitement of being in a senior year. And obviously the scale of what's going on is, is huge and it's impacting our economy. It's impacting, you know, so many people who are working in hospitals and, and caring for one another. But like the small sized problems that like are human sized in my life and your life, like whether it's you know, missing a really fun party that you'd be looking forward to, or you had a great costume for, or, um, you know, I have friends who are postponing weddings, like all of that is worthy of grief. I think it's really important that you said that because if we just have to pretend that it doesn't hurt and it isn't sad, I mean, that's not true. First of all, it's also not helpful. So, you know, I definitely took two days to really mourn some events that I've been really looking forward to. And so, you know, I, I really do hope you take that time to grieve, being away from friends, being away from family, having to miss things that, that you've been looking forward to. I really appreciate your voicemail. Thank you, Gemma. Our next voicemail is from Rachel, and she is continuing this theme of blessing moms, which I am a full supporter of. Hi, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. I don't know if this is the kind of voicemail that you usually receive, um... But I wanted to send you this amid all the craziness in the world right now. This is a blessing from my mom. Today, I want to bless my mom. I sincerely hope that she's right about this virus, but I am so worried that she is not. Today, the federal government recommended avoiding gatherings of more than 10 people. And mom went to the craft store to buy artificial daffodils for her window boxes. My dad is still going to work. With this blessing, I hope they will stay healthy. I hope I will get to argue with them in a month or so over whether or not this was all an overreaction. Mom, bless you for being so beautiful and unbothered, feeling my normal everyday frustration with your conservative nonsense is miles and miles better than the alternative. Bless you, Mom, for being whole, alive, and so mad that Zumba was canceled today. I love you. (laughs) Oh, Rachel, that's just wonderful. (laughs) Oh, I love that blessing so much. And yes, you know, I think in moments like this, we just feel like Maybe people's idiosyncrasies and the, and maybe even their annoying habits feel even the more cherishable because we see the alternative. And Rachel, what I really love about your message is also that you're you're demonstrating exactly what Stephanie and I were talking about. You know, in in bringing to our heart, bringing to our mind someone that sometimes can be challenging, right? Like, and I think you really you really illustrated how we can offer a blessing or a prayer for those people in our life, um, knowing that your mom is much more than that, but. I sure hope that Zumba class will be back soon when uh, when everything reopens and uh, and we can get back to bickering about the small things. <laughs> Our next voicemail comes from Camden from Seattle. Hi, everyone. Thank you all so much for what you do to make this program each week. My name is Camden and I live in Seattle, Washington, the epicenter of the COVID-19 or coronavirus outbreak in the States. Life here in the last few weeks has become increasingly grim and culminated tonight with virtually all our places of business shutting down at midnight around the city. 
And although it's been difficult, it's also given me time to reflect and think about the crisis on our hands, as well as the text itself. And for the first time in years, I've tried to pick back up on my French. And that has involved in buying the first book in the series in French to start. So last night, I was slowly making my way through chapter one, French copy in one hand, and English copy in the other, translating line by line. And when I reached the latter half of the chapter, I was utterly transfixed by the arrival of Professor McGonagall, Dumbledore, and eventually Hagrid. In an episode months ago, you all had a guest on who remarked about how everyone in this text is beaming. And there's this component of love and connection between these characters throughout all the books. And that just came roaring out to me in the text this time around. Uh, the word for eyes in French is les yeux, and it just kept popping up again and again. McGonagall connecting with Dumbledore's eyes, Hagrid's eyes being wet from weeping, and Dumbledore's steely resolve all the while, his blue piercing eyes, a theme that will continue through the Deathly Hallows. And more than ever, and perhaps most powerfully, I saw the beauty of being good neighbors and stewards in your community. These three, these outsiders arriving, but bringing a sense of levity, of Dumbledore taking care to extinguish the lights, to gently place Harry at the doorstep with a carefully scripted note, and Hagrid able to borrow a friend's bike at a moment's notice. And with the crisis we are facing with coronavirus, I hope we as a community can find that similar energy, that compassion, to stay inside, to only go where we are needed, and to be selfless. And while others are out celebrating Voldemort's demise, what is McGonagall doing? She's there, on the stone, all day, waiting, being a good neighbor, staying close, but not too close, but keeping an eye out. And so I hope everyone will hunker down and take this thing seriously, learn the lessons we are painfully learning the hard way in Seattle, and support their neighbor and fellow human beings. Take care and stay safe. Yes, Camden. Oh, I love that reading of the opening chapter. And I think that's exactly what McGonagall's doing. And in some ways, she's being a good neighbor for Harry, even though she's like not physically a neighbor, like she's keeping an eye out for the people she cares about, even from a distance. Now we can't all turn into cats and sit on one another's, you know, end, end of the garden little wall. But I think we can do exactly what you're inviting us to do. And what you may not know, Camden, is that before I ever read Harry Potter in English, I got given the first book in French by my 13-year-old French exchange partner, Edouard. And I tried to read them. Honestly, I was like, I'm not sure I could do this. And so that's that's when I started reading Harry Potter. And I think so many of us are trying out new things while we're stuck at home. I remember when, when I broke both my legs, this was more than 10 years ago, I had this really nasty accident. I got a letter from my grandmother who said, when I was 14 and broke my elbow, I learned Italian. I hope you use this time well. So I feel like you and my grandma have a lot in common. <laughs> because it's also totally fine to feel like you have no energy or no creative spirit. You know, I feel like I vacillate between those two, but good for you for, for getting on that French skill. That's awesome. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. 
And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Next, we're going to hear from Kenna. Hi, Vanessa Casper and Ariana. I'm Kenna. And after listening to your episode on persistence, I wanted to share some of my recent experience with you. This year, I've been backpacking by myself in South America. It has been so enriching, and I count myself very blessed to have been able to take this journey. Toward the beginning of my travels, I met someone with whom I connected, and we shared a night of passion. More recently, I discovered that despite our precautions, I'd become pregnant. I'm not quite sure if I want to keep the baby. Abortion is illegal in my current country, Peru but I was scheduled to fly home with plenty of time to make a well-informed decision. Unfortunately, things have become a bit more complicated. Though I'd heard about coronavirus expanding in other parts of the world and felt compassion for those affected and their loved ones, until recently, it hasn't really been much of an issue in South America, reaching this continent so much later than the rest of the world. However, a couple days before my flight home was scheduled out of Lima, I needed to cross the border back into Peru from Bolivia, and there were rumors that security was ramping up and we might not get through. My fellow travelers and I released a collective sigh of relief after we made it through. We'd be able to go home. Imagine our shock when a couple of hours later at 9 o'clock p.m., the president of Peru announced that the country would be entering a state of mandatory quarantine the following morning and that no flights or buses would be allowed to depart. Since then, things have been in flux, with the quarantine being delayed until midnight, and I decided to leave behind my community of fellow travelers to take a bus to Lima. I wanted to be close to an international airport in case things change again, so I have the best chance of getting home and handling my pregnancy. On the 22-hour bus ride, I fluctuated between periods of determination, intense loneliness, 
pride in my strength and unabashed crying. I turned on your podcast, which has always been my friend in trying times, and was really struck when Casper said about the strength in community, it's not just because they bring something that I don't have, it's because by being with them, something in me comes out that I couldn't have on my own. I completely agree, and though I am on my own, your words have inspired me to strive to be who I am when I am with the people I love. With this shift, I feel almost like Harry walking into the forbidden forest with his loved ones after using the resurrection stone. They may not be here with me physically, but their spirits shield and surround me. I'm sure over the coming days, I'll still experience desperate moments. Even since arriving in Lima, the quarantine has become more severe and it looks like it will be extended. But it's a little bit easier to face them, feeling loved and supported from afar. So finally, I'd like to offer a blessing to anyone who feels alone in the face of a great challenge or adversity. May you remember that each small step is a huge accomplishment and may you feel the embrace of friendship again soon. Thanks for bearing witness to my testimony. I'm sending you and this whole community so much love. Oh, Kenna, I don't really know what to say. I just feel so... First of all, I'm so sorry that you're in this situation. I can only imagine, you know, exactly like you're describing those kind of shifts of emotional states and certainty and confusion and all of it mixed up together. So let me first say that. But more than anything, I'm just so impressed that you can share this with us with such conviction and clarity and that you let us, as you said, bear witness to your experience and that it certainly right sizes any of the things I've been thinking about. And I, I'm just so glad we got to play a small part in keeping you company in this difficult time. I wish you every happiness and good health as you, as you're in a foreign country and, and finding your way and uh, know that we're thinking of you very fondly from afar. Thank you so much. And finally, we're going to hear from Paige. Hi, Casper, Vanessa, and Ariana. My name is Paige, and I'm calling in from Port St. Lucie, Florida. Recently, I was listening to the episode you guys did on Book 6, Chapter 4, Horace Slughorn, through the theme of joy. And Vanessa, something that you said really stuck out to me. You were talking about why you decided to put chocolates and romance novels into your apocalypse bag. <laughs> and what you said was, surviving isn't just about surviving, it's about having a reason to live. I found that line so poignant uh, in regards to this coronavirus outbreak and this time when we're all having to practice social distancing and isolation. It made me think of Sirius in book five who had to stay trapped inside his family home, which was a very toxic and triggering place. And he had to stay there just so he could survive. And the only thing that got him through was his reason to live that being his godson Harry and the idea of defeating Voldemort and purely the greater good. So I wanted to offer a blessing to everyone who is battling mental health issues in this time of isolation, who is trapped inside toxic environments and maybe you're stuck at home with people who are really triggering for you or you're in an environment that is very triggering for you and or maybe you're just depressed and anxious and staying inside is not good for you, but you're doing it anyway because you believe in the greater good. I want to say thank you and my heart goes out to you and I'm with you as well. 
I've been battling depression for several years and staying inside is really not good for me. So I've been turning to the little things that spark joy in my life, like romance novels and chocolate and Harry Potter. <laughs> um, thank you so much for this podcast. It's really gotten me through some dark times and I'm going to be leaning on it through the dark times to come. I love you all and take care. We love you too, Paige. Thank you so much. And this is what's so cool about the books is that like, who knew that there were all of these reference points within the Harry Potter books for our experience right now? Like, yes, this is a great reading of Sirius. Absolutely. Right. Like he's stuck in a house, like not allowed to go outside. And for him, as you said, it's this really toxic place. I mean, not just because it hasn't been cleaned in forever, but, you know, he's he's got this aggressive voice of, of his mother. He's got Creature who's actively betraying him. And he's having to deal with the fact that all of this stuff is going on around him in terms of the order organizing that he can't be part of. I love that reading of Sirius as a reminder for us to be like, well, what is it that kept him going? And it's his love for Harry, exactly as you said. And so... I'm really going to take that as an invitation to meditate on what are the things that I really am living for, you know, and knowing that, you know, God willing, this isn't our new normal forever, this state of physically distancing, but what are the things that I can hold on as a bright spark, as a, as a center of love and care in this moment and the future to come? That's a beautiful invitation. I'm so grateful. Thank you, Paige. Beautiful voicemail. And an extra thank you to everyone who has been sending in a voicemail. As you can imagine, there's so many beautiful stories right now, especially about the experience of, of COVID-19, the coronavirus. And we, we listen to every single one and are so grateful for each of you for sharing your story. It means we know that we're in this together and we're so grateful for that. You've been listening to the very last episode of season six of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. We'll take just one week off, but we'll be back on April 16th to talk about what we're excited for in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Spoiler alert, Vanessa will probably be excited about the walk in the forest. It's her favorite part of the series. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and join our Facebook group to chat with other listeners about the episode. Come and join the wonderful community of people supporting us on Patreon, especially in this moment. That kind of support is more important than ever. And of course, you can always leave us a review on iTunes, send us a voicemail. And very excitingly, tickets are now on sale for our tour this summer. And of course, my book, The Power of Ritual, which you can find at thepowerofritual.org. This episode is produced by Not Sorry Productions. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. Our associate producer is Ariana Martinez. And music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Boll. We are distributed by Acast. Thanks especially this week to the voicemails from Gemma, Rachel, Camden, Kenna and Paige. And of course, the wonderful Stephanie Purcell for joining us. Thanks also to Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Maggie Needham, Megan Kelly, and I guess Vanessa Zoltan. See you all in two weeks. We'll miss you.